electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are breaking out the Bitcoin bug as the cryptocurrency soars to a new all-time high. And we've got a bold call from a Fast Money friend. BTIG's Julian Emanuel says Bitcoin is headed to $50,000. He'll tell us why straight ahead. Plus, Nikola shares hitting the skids as GM pulls the plug on its investment deal. So is this stock worth touching or will investors just get shocked? And we're tracking the after-hours action in shares of Zoom. That stock down on the back results. The company's call is about to kick off. We'll be on it, and we'll bring you all the big headlines. But first, we start off with a November to remember. Truly, the Dow surging 11.8% for its best month since January 1987. The S&P and Nasdaq handing in their best month since April. And check out what worked this month. Energy up more than 25%. Financials up 17%. And the small caps, best month ever. But the bulls weren't hiding today, and that's rare for Monday, November. Check this out. Each of the past four Mondays, we've gotten big vaccine news before the market opened. But take a look at the diminishing returns. The market fell today despite Moderna requesting emergency use authorization of its vaccine. So is a comeback trade all baked in at this point? And, Guy, we've been talking about this, but here it is uh, in black and white or red <clears throat> and green, if you will, uh, in terms of diminishing returns. I took that class in, uh, it was in the economics class my freshman year, and I learned all about that diminishing marginal returns, which is why I often invoke it here. I, I think so. I mean, absolutely. But I'll tell you something. The VIX is telling another story. And I thought on a day like today, month end, and maybe it's a function of month end, I thought the VIX would be closer to 25. And here I think the VIX closed actually lower on the day. Maybe it's, maybe it's some function of something that I don't understand with that specific um, uh, security. But I will tell you, that given what transpired and given all the headwinds that I see out there, the VIX should be 25. That said, you know, I do think so much of this vaccine news is baked in, and mm -hmm. you should be expecting a bit of a pullback here in the S&P 500, Melissa. So then what does that mean, Tim, for the trades that, that led us here to new records in the month of November? We're talking banks and we're talking energy. Uh, the, the trades that are dependent on an economy that reopens or at least finds some juice here. They're catching their breath, Mel. I mean, I, I think you have a case here where on banks, uh, if you look at the XLF, maybe not a pure read. And, uh, you know, Dan has talked about this, too, because there's a lot of Berkshire in there. But but look, uh, XLF below pre-COVID levels. And yet banks are going to start giving you at least some unwind of these major reserves they've put aside on their balance sheet. So, uh, you know, the move that we had, you just gave those numbers at the top of the show. It's not surprising to see a little bit of a breath here, but, but, but quietly inflation expectations are going higher. Look at tips, and I won't get too deep in the weeds on that, but those are uh, treasuries with inflation expectations built in, and they've actually outperformed. Uh, I think there is some sense that there is inflation out there. Look at the price of copper and look at the dollar going lower, and that should tell you we're going to be importing some inflation here. That means all of those trades, I think, are going to continue to work. And, and we've been talking about retail, and we're going to dive in deeper later in the show with Chris Verone. But I, I just, you know, I think we have a case here where retail, which drastically underperformed for three years into uh, kind of a catch-up play for the last year, 
But you know, off the bottom is outperformed the S&P by 50 percent uh, after a 20 percent down move at the low of the crisis from the top of the crisis. I mean, excuse me, from the beginning of the crisis. I, I just think those trades, you mentioned them, you know, banks, small cap, retail, uh, you know, these are these are trades that I think um, have more mean reversion to go. Can a mean reversion, though, happen, continue to happen, Karen, in a world in which um, there is no stimulus, in a world in which the economic outlook is so uncertain, even though we have this great vaccine news. I mean, we saw that in the markets today, and, and we, we mentioned it every Monday. If you look at more recent Mondays, the market reaction is less and less, which would imply that it's already baked in. I think for the short term, the vaccine news is baked in. But I got to tell you, this blip is really what I think of what happened today. It just shaves the tiniest bit off the November performance. I, I think this, you know, I always look for things to buy. So a day like today provided actually zero opportunities of things to, for me to buy because they just, I mean, just a tiny bit of froth came off. So I think also there is the expect or the hope that the Biden administration will be able to get some sort of stimulus through. So I think the stimulus as, as one of the sort of um, platforms of a continual rally is still there. I don't know how big. And we don't know what's going to happen in the Senate. So that that is up in the air. But I don't think the stimulus is dead. So, um, you know, we talked about Santa Claus rally a couple of weeks ago. A lot of Santa's here already just trying to get beat the rush, I guess. So um, now I think sort of sideways for a while. Yeah. I mean, what could go wrong, Dan? I'm sort of playing off the, the tweet that you <laughs> sent out about all the positives in the market in terms of how many components are above the 200-day moving average, et cetera, et cetera. What could go wrong at this point? Well, I, I think that's it. it. It feels like SantaCon here in the market. And if you're a New Yorker and it's an <laughs> early uh, Saturday in December, you know what SantaCon's like. It's a freaking mess. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I, I just think there's a lot baked in right here. And, you know, I think that we keep talking about this vaccine. Yeah, this is the fourth or fifth Monday in a row we came in with good news. Um, listen, the vaccine might prove to be the biggest challenge for the reopening of the economy in 2021. When you think about, you know, Warp Speed, an amazing, an amazing endeavor here. We have at least a couple vaccines that should work against this virus, but distributing it, not just here in the U.S., but the world over, and then kind of overcoming some of the trust issues about it, but most importantly, the logistics issues about it, inoculating hundreds of millions of people in a very short period of time. I'm just not so confident that that's going to happen the way we expect it to in the first three, four, five months of next year. So we might see continued push shouts of this reopening trade when our economy gets back to those pre-pandemic levels. And then the last point, Mel, is the, the point that you make about stimulus. Does it look much smaller than the deal that was on the table in September and October that we couldn't get an agreement on? We were kind of, what, at um, $1.8 at $2.2 and now they're talking about something much less than a trillion. That just may not be it to keep the market here where it is. I think it's anticipating a lot of good news in the next 6 to 12 months. And it's not just inoculating people in general. I mean, they got to go for two doses. <laughs> and in the meantime, they yeah. might have some side effects. So, so uncertainty surrounding the vaccine, uncertainty surrounding stimulus. How about the uncertainty surrounding the economy? We just heard from Fed Chair Jay Powell in testimony released ahead of a Senate Banking Committee meeting tomorrow. Let's get to Steve Leisman, who's got the latest. Steve. 
Melissa, thanks. The dispute between the Fed and the Treasury showing up somewhat in testimony to be delivered tomorrow by Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Fed Chair Jay Powell. Powell says in his testimony that it's the secretary's decision not to continue these emergency lending programs at the Fed and that the Fed will return the unused money to the Treasury. But he goes on to note that demand for Main Street loans, one of those facilities being closed down by the Treasury Secretary, may increase with the spread of the pandemic. He said Fed actions have unlocked $2 trillion of funding to businesses, state and local governments, and to nonprofits. Powell adds that the economy has continued to recover from the depressed second quarter levels, but the pace of improvement has moderated and the economic outlook is extraordinarily uncertain. Mnuchin, for his part, says Americans are getting back to work and our job is not complete. That's his job, of course, until every American is back to work. He does note that half of workers have come back who lost their jobs in the pandemic. <clears throat> he sharply criticizes shutdowns, saying they continue to impair, quote, remarkable progress and, quote, cause great harm to American businesses and workers. He's urging Congress to use the $455 billion in unused funds from the CARE Act and says the administration will support a package, a targeted fiscal package uh, that Congress passes. So we'll be listening tomorrow to hear if uh, in the testimony on the questions from to hear from senators, see if there's any hint of progress on stimulus like Dan was talking about and whether Mnuchin or Powell has more support from the senators about ending those emergency lending programs. Melissa, as you know, we were reporting today that some of the high frequency data is suggesting that there could be a negative print on the jobs numbers on Friday, even though that's not the consensus forecast. Some of the high frequency data suggesting that and that could be a game changer as to the progress on stimulus. Oh, you think that that would be a wake up call if we do have a negative print? Yeah, I think I think if you if you sort of listen to the tenor of the debate, Mm -hmm. when the jobs numbers have come in more strongly than expected, which they have, it's kind of caused the urgency of um, uh, of the need for stimulus to recede. Uh, along, by the way, with the market, the way the market has been yeah. reacting, it doesn't seem to negatively uh, uh, assess the uh, lack of stimulus. I would submit it's the market reaction to a negative print on Friday that could be the wake-up call for Congress to actually well, act. Then you get, then you get a double. Then you, yeah, right. we, we <laughs> then would you get a potentially get a double. Yep. Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman. Tim, Tim Seymour, you know, this uh, disagreement between the Treasury and the Fed is um, it'll seem quaint in a matter of uh, a couple of months uh, if Janet Yellen, in, assuming sure Janet Yellen <laughs> is confirmed here. Um, but are the markets thinking of any sort of skinny or targeted stimulus between now and when, when Congress leaves in just a couple weeks time? It, it's tough. And look, this is this is the detail on on the big picture and the themes here. We, we know that Janet Yellen has largely been in, in a markets positive dynamic. We know uh, from her role at the Fed and listening to Powell today, you know, talking about all the tools in the toolbox and all that. I mean, this was the Yellen Fed. Um, and, and so this was ultimately the Bernanke Fed um, and a Treasury that, that certainly wants to stay uh, close to that action. I, I just you know, I think there's there's some dynamics here for the market that that ultimately normalization in terms of the economy, that's bad news for the market. Um, and and I, I don't think that we're close to the normalized economy. But but when we start really talking about normalized earnings and and when you start pulling forward, at least in a couple of these sectors where maybe we come out of this faster, um, I, I think, you know, that's the time to be selling those sectors. And I, I don't think we're there yet. But I, I do think that the, the dynamic of 
uh, how much fiscal is coming down the pike is something that the markets will weigh here or there. Um, but I get back to you know, where we started this show. The, the, if you look at back to 2016, when we didn't have COVID, um, but we certainly had a presidential election and then we had a seasonal rally, most of the, most of the Trump rally for at least the, the, you know, the boost that came out of elections, but then into the holiday season, was done by the end of November. And then you, you essentially were flat for much of December. If you look at all, a lot at least, of the bull bear measures and, and where we have extreme optimism, et cetera, we're stretched. We're absolutely stretched. How can we not be stretched? So um, I, I think the Fed's not going anywhere anytime soon. I hear you saying, like, bad news is good news. Um, but, but I think the, the more important direction for the market right now is, is lopping off a little bit of this froth, and then I think we're going higher. Yeah. Guy, do you think it's a replay of what happened in the last election, as Tim, Tim is saying? It's completely, I mean, the setup to me is completely different, but I understand what Tim is saying in terms of, you know, the markets and the dynamics behind it. And I, listen, I, I want to add one other sort of wild card here without going down necessarily political, Ben. But remember when candidate Trump was then President Trump, he talked about how the market would be a report card for his administration. And by any stretch, just using that metric, has been in a, a wonderful administration. But, you know, if, if he concedes, and I still haven't figured out if there's a concession out there or not, but I think in terms of ego, it's one thing to lose an election to an ego. It's another thing to watch the market go higher on the back of that, not unlike a CEO that gets fired and watching his or her stock go up 8% in the aftermath. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I'm wondering just, you know, aloud if that press conference he did when he trumpeted the Dow tr- 30,000 level, one that we'd never seen again, you know, in his head, that'd be a great way to go out with the market at an all-time high. So I just wonder what voice we're going to hear that's going to derail this thing. And again, I go back to Wilbur Ross's comments a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's been in mothballs seemingly for the last six months, and he comes out and all of a sudden is <laughs> talking about the deficit and the debt out of nowhere. And, but I don't think it was out of nowhere, I guess is my point. Well, I mean, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, Guy, Congress is in session almost basically until the day the Electoral College votes. And Trump has said he will abide by whatever the Electoral College decides, Dan. So if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, you can line up the calendar and say, you know what, maybe he signs a stimulus bill. He pushes for that because he would go out on a high note. Yeah, you know, listen, he hasn't really been contemplating too much of his legacy at this point. I mean, in his mind, I think he's still not out of the game. And I think your point about December 14th is a really important one. I would tell you this, that he's going to be the first U.S. president who's during his term in like 30 or 40 years or maybe even longer that actually had a net job loss. And so if you're really thinking about your legacy, you may want to try to push through some form of fiscal stimulus that you know would help the people. This is one of the things that would help the people. It's not like his tax cuts back in 2017 that went to the uh, you know the donor class and large corporations. This would be going to you know unemployed citizens and small businesses, that sort of thing. That might be something that could kind of help tarnish or take the tarnish off of this period since the election. So to me, you know, I'm hoping for it. Um, I, I wouldn't hold my breath, though. All right. Our next guest warns a December chill may hit the markets. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, always great to speak with you. Um, how chilly are we talking about with like frostbite or, you know, just unseasonably cold? <laughs> uh, yeah, unseasonably cold sounds about right. You know, basically, from our point of view, what November says about the near term is very inconclusive. Um, and particularly given all the challenges that you've just spoken about uh, with the panel over the last few minutes, 
they're right in front of us. However, what we're seeing and what the story of November was, and we've yet to see whether that will not be the case in December, is that there are very strong inflows into equities. And the fund flows can swamp a lot of fundamentals, whether they're near term or longer term. Look, for us, the longer term picture is very intact, particularly given uh, this enthusiasm in an in a interest rate world that doesn't is not likely to go higher. And at the same time, you really don't want to be in bonds because the Fed isn't going to allow negative rates. So the rationale for equities is there. It's just that we've got a lot of things to overcome. And at 21 and a half times uh, 2021 earnings, we are reasonably fully priced and not necessarily ready for negative surprises. What valuation would you buy then, Julian, in the markets, in the S&P specifically? And I'm wondering if it's, you know, for most investors out there, they can't time the market. They can't play it too cute. So unless the, we're talking about a, a decent sized pullback, you're not going to get out and get back in. Right. And we're not saying that mm -hmm. you should do that. OK, if if you feel uncomfortable, this is a time that perhaps looking out three months, you might want to own some downside put protection. Uh, the volatility index, as Guy mentioned earlier, is at the pandemic lows, which to us makes very attractive uh, for hedging. Um, in general, we'd say otherwise you need to sit tight. If you look at the last two and a half years, it's been a massive roller coaster to the upside and the downside. And the single best strategy has been to sit tight. We expect the same to occur when thinking about 2021. It's just that you have to get emotionally through what could potentially be sort of the down part of the roller coaster. Hey, Julian, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. As a counterweight to money coming into the market, do you think there's any thought of a strategy of selling big gains in this calendar year to uh, get in front of any big tax changes that the Biden administration could implement? Well, it, factually, we've already started to see it a little bit. That's what people have called the, uh, you know, growth to value rotation. Um, you know, we don't necessarily think that even if uh, the Democrats were to take both of those Georgia seats, that you'd really have enough of an impetus to to get uh, past that kind of uh, major tax legislation. So whereas that might have been a consideration sort of in October coming into the election, when you started to see uh, the winners begin to underperform the laggards, obviously that's continued. We don't necessarily think that that's a rationale uh, to trim specifically those names. But yet at the same time, they're not necessarily attractive enough at these valuations where we'd want to be aggressive about adding. Julian, I have to ask you about Bitcoin. I didn't take you for a BTC kind of guy, but in your most recent note, you say Bitcoin to, to 50K is a reasonable price target for full year or year end 2021. Um, and I'm wondering if that that is the case. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of the diminishing value of the dollar, et cetera. That's kind of force. Does it have a place in investors portfolio instead of cash? Well, it's it's not necessarily instead of cash. It is instead of the 40 percent that would be a traditional 60 40 bond allocation. Again, going back to what we were discussing earlier, if the Fed is not going to permit negative rates and they've been vocal about it and we're starting to see signs of inflation, it's reasonable to expect that you could have, you know, perhaps losses in bond portfolios. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the foreseeable future. And then when you combine that with the fact that you've got this entire cohort 
of young investors, the same ones that were really aggressively uh, pushing technology stocks, um, you know, this summer, who have 40-year investing horizons, uh, an alternative to bonds is very, very sensible. And from our point of view, while the Fed continues uh, to add to its balance sheet uh -huh. and the U.S. debt continues to go higher, Bitcoin is a viable alternative. To extrapolate that, uh, Julian, then should companies consider holding Bitcoin instead of cash equivalents on their balance sheets? Uh, it, it, it's certainly, again, an alternative, and we've seen several of them come to that conclusion. And one of the, the facts of life is, is that you really haven't been re rewarded, and perhaps rightly so, in a zero interest rate environment uh, for cash. I don't know that I'd want to go quite that far because, again, that's that's an individual, uh, uh, you know, corporate management's perspective. Mm -hmm. But in a diversified investment portfolio, we do think there is a place for crypto. Julian, great to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. By the way, we've got a great story up right now on CNBC Pro about how BTIG sees Bitcoin headed to that big round number 50K. So head on over to CNBC.com slash pro to sign up and check it out. Um, Guy, I asked, you know, you can go with the markets there, but I asked Julian about companies holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet because when you were off on hump day ahead of gobble gobble day last week, we spoke to the CEO <laughs> oh. of, of MicroStrategy who, who took 75% of the cash on the balance sheet and put it in Bitcoin. And guess what rose today along with, with Bitcoin to record highs? I mean, MicroStrategy had a very nice performance today. So it's become a Bitcoin proxy. But the question from an investor standpoint is, no. is this what you want yeah. a company to do? No, I, I don't believe so. I, I, you know, that to me is a, it's a bridge too far, as they say. I mean, it's great. I'm sure that the MicroStrategy shareholders are thrilled today but, you know, if Bitcoin is at 12,500 two weeks from now, which is potential given the volatility, are they going to be as happy? I, I don't know necessarily if that should be under the edicts of some of this corporate governance, but maybe I'm, I'm wrong on this one. I'm sure BK has a different view, but I would be I would be a little concerned if they were putting the eggs in the Bitcoin basket this early and this in the infancy, still the nation state. Of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency specifically. So that would concern me, Melissa. All right, coming up. And I'm glad I missed hump day <laughs> gobble gobble, by the way. You know how I feel about that. You love it. You heart. You heart it. <laughs> coming up, we've got an earnings alert on Zoom. Shares plunging after its latest report. The company's call is about to kick off. We'll break down what is pressuring the stock in the after-hour session later. The electric slide. Nikola shares falling hard after GM pulled the plug on its investment plans. The full details when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Your kids do it. Your boss is doing it. Your parents are even doing it. We're talking about Zoom. We've got an earnings alert for you on that stock. Debosa joins us now with the numbers. Debo. 
Melissa, you're right. Everyone's doing it. But as one of our colleagues put it, it's investors are a tough crowd. Zoom did almost everything right and then some better than expected guidance. Third straight quarter of triple digit revenue growth. It even doubled its most lucrative customers. But investors have come to expect big things from this company and the quarter may not have been big enough. Also weighing on Zoom shares over the last few months, what happens to growth when the economy reopens and people are not sitting on Zooms all day? Also, the third quarter's blowout, 367% sales growth. That is going to make next year's growth expected to fall back into the teens very difficult to compare. Now, shares are down in the after hours, as we showed you, but they're still up nearly 600% year to date. So this is still very much the work from home darling. Key question going forward, I know you guys know this, is whether it can ultimately be more than a video conferencing platform. And eventually, I like how BTIG put it, evolve into a, quote, core human interaction platform to justify its now sky-high valuation. Melissa, the call kicks off in about five minutes from now. All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Um, by the way, we'll hear from Zoom CFO tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Uh, in the meantime, let's trade this one. It's interesting to note, too, that the average price target on the street is 478. So just, you know, cl- very or 480, very close to where the stock uh, closed out the session today. Dan. Yeah, I think there's very few things that you can kind of look at this and say it's disappointing. The stock only down 5% um, tells you that investors want to be kind of positive here, even up 600% on mm. the year. I think Debo kind of made the point that, you know, period over period, we're going to see um, deceleration. And then year over year, those comps are just impossible. So trading at 56 times this year, 43 times next year's sales with $135 billion market cap, you say to yourself, how does this company grow into that valuation, especially as we can start to see the other side of the pandemic? And, and make no mistake about it, no matter what happens in September or August, our schools are opening nationally. That's just happening. So, you know, the opportunity, the total addressable market um, probably hasn't shrunk too much for these guys, but their ability to monetize it going forward on the other side of the pandemic, that's probably what investors spend the next few months pricing this stock on. And even when reopening nibbles away at the margin, in terms of business for Zoom, there's still a com- competitive aspect. There's teams out there and other platforms. True or false, Guy Adami, the stock's best days are behind it. False. I hate those true. You know, I, I guess tricky. I got a 50-50 shot. I mean, I used to guess in high school. So <laughs> I, think the, I think the stock is okay here, and I might be in the minority without question. But if from the 588 high that we saw, the all-time high, you're down about 24% at these levels. If you go back to September 1st, this was actually, this level right here was at the time the all-time high. So the symmetry lines up. And now you have to ask yourself, down 25%, even if this company is, you know, 75%, 80% in a post-pandemic world, maybe the stock is right here. So not going to get bought at the current market capitalization. It's not an acquisition target, but I think it's a trading vehicle. 455 sets up pretty well, Melissa. Tim. Well, I, I think they, they could also be making some acquisitions with that currency, which is their stock. And, you know, maybe it's an overpriced currency. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think the stock's performance in the after hours is actually quite extraordinary when you consider also that we all know what the stock's done this year, but it also rallied 30 percent into these numbers. So um, the year over year comps and, you know, 485 percent with greater than 10 percent customer growth um, is great. It is the 
evolution of the product portfolio. You know, Zoom phone is something that at least uh, people are talking about and, and the enterprise software. I, I think that they can stay in the game. I think they'll be making acquisitions. That won't be great for the share price. But the true false, which is a, a would you rather or maybe it's actually really more like an over under, more like a betting call, Mel. Um, you know, I, I take the over, but I'm not sure I'm going to take the over in the next six months. I, I think there needs to be a, a chance for this company to kind of recalibrate and see what life is like uh, when we go back to work. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is all, all these games are the same. Trade it or fade it, shop it or drop <laughs> it. I mean, it's, are you buying or are you selling it? I mean, they that's, are? that's the bottom line. Shh, don't tell anybody uh, I said that. All right, we've got a market flash for you on Tesla. Uh, let's get to Eric Chemi with the details. Eric. Uh, Melissa, that's right. So Tesla stock moving up right here in the after hours because we're getting some more clarity, some more details about how it will get added to the S&P 500 three weeks from today. So December 21st, that Monday morning on that day, the entire full float adjusted market cap weight. So basically the full amount of Tesla that's going to go into the S&P 500. All of it will go in on that Monday morning when we come out of the weekend three weeks from today. So that's what got the stock up right now popping. Remember, they were trying to figure out how they would do this. Would it be gradual? Would it be sudden? They've announced that it will be sudden. And by the way, next Friday, after, after the close on December 11th, that's where we're going to find out what company is Tesla knocking out from the index. Melissa, back to you. Eric, thank you. Eric Chemi, um, S&P saying Tesla's current market value adjusted for float of $437 billion would produce $72.2 billion in required trades on that single trading session. Karen, does it, I don't know, it doesn't matter if it's added in one go or in, in a couple of tranches or a few tranches? Yeah, I don't think it really does, especially if they were going to come within a short time. So that doesn't really make sense to me, I think. And also, how much of this has been front run already, right? Clearly, stock is up since that announcement. And then the last thing to me, um, you know, I've heard the idea floated, which seems sort of interesting, that why doesn't Tesla take this tremendous opportunity to do a very big secondary? They don't need the money right this minute, but... What, I mean, you know, put away $10 billion in the bank or more. That wouldn't be crazy at all. So that would help feed that, um, that demand. So, I, yeah, I agree with you, though. Why it's over three days or one day, I don't know. I don't think that really changes the value of Tesla. And if they did a secondary guy, Dami, at these high valuations to feed this demand, would you be a buyer into that secondary, as we have seen in the past? History has suggested that uh, other than once or twice, I would say, you know, the other six or seven times, and that's probably about right, it's been a tremendous uh, entry level to, do, to buy or get long the stock on a secondary. So, yeah, again, you know, I'm, I'm not on the Musk train, and, you know, maybe I don't understand it, but, you know, I will tell you since May, June, I've sort of figured out how this stock trades, and the answer to that question would be yes. All right, we've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It's Cyber Monday, and it's shaping up to be a surprisingly strong season for the consumer. But what retailer stock should you be putting in your shopping cart? We go off the charts for some answers. Plus, the best-looking name in the retail space may not be the stock you think it is. We'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a 
Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. The holiday rush is officially on. Just 25 shopping days left until Christmas, and retailers are hoping for more big gains from Santa this year. The S&P Retail ETF has been red hot heading into the holiday shopping season. It is up more than 20% this month, sitting near new all-time highs. And our next guest has two retailers that could win Christmas this year. Let's go off the charts with... Chris Verón, a strategist. He was recently ranked the number two best technical analyst on Wall Street by institutional investors. Congrats on that, Chris. What are the two charts? Well, there's two names I think that you want to own here. But if you put this in context of the broader discretionary sector, what's been remarkable to us, and if we pull up the first chart, is just how broad this move in discretionary has been. 100% of the sector is above its 200-day moving average. That's as good as anything we've seen in 30-plus years' worth of data here. It speaks to how broad this is, and it tells us any weakness over coming weeks or coming months, you want to step in and you want to be a buyer of that. And I think when you look at the relationship between discretionary and staples, risk on versus risk off, the outperformance we've continued to see uh, discretionary beating staples, I think, is very reflective of the risk on tone that the market continues to exhibit here and certainly something that stands in contrast to what the last several years have looked like. And if we pull up a chart of the XRT, which is the retail ETF, I mean, this is basically three years of nothing that just decisively broke out. Uh, No money was made here since early 2018. That is over now, 50 to 60 very quickly. Be a buyer of pullbacks here. There's good support here, 55, 56. And if you look at some of the names that comprise this, Macy's continues to stand out to us. This move over the last few weeks from 7 to 11 was on big volume. The stock is being accumulated. Use 9950 $10 as support. We think it finds buyers there. And importantly, relative to the S&P, this one is really starting to turn up uh, here as well. So becoming an outperformer. And then if you look at five below, ticker FIVE, this is a different type of chart. This is one that consolidated for the last two or three years and just broke out to new all-time highs. We like names making new all-time highs. Use weakness here to your advantage. This is a good long-term chart. Yeah. Tim, your Macy's. Your Macy's is looking good, according to Chris. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the move in the stock is one thing. And I think Chris probably has sized up the uh, 35 percent short interest, which is now starting to come in, maybe aggressively. But uh, most importantly, they added seven million new digital customers, uh, new digital customers in, in the last earnings period. And, and if you think about a 40 percent penetration of their sales in digital, this is another one of those stories where COVID accelerated trends and in this case, a bad trend in some sense, um, at least restructuring. So in other words, the, the stuff that the company had to do and, and I think was doing but doing slowly. And I, 
I just think that the numbers here, it's been a balance sheet story. If you look at the CDS, uh, Macy's CDS has come in dramatically, meaning uh, the credit investors are getting uh, more bullish, both on a bolster balance sheet through mm -hmm. a capital raise and the fact that free cash flow, uh, at least in the last couple quarters, has been there. And the question is, can they maintain that? All right. Chris, thanks for the charts. We appreciate it. It's always nice to speak with you. Chris Verone of Strategus. Um, Dan, you actually think that there is another company that could win. Forget about the retailers. What are you looking at? What's the best chart in the market right yeah. now? I think the best looking chart in the market right here is Apple. And, you know, the stock has really underperformed the S&P 500 over the last few months. I mentioned it on the show last Monday. The stock did what it's been doing. It went sideways here. But if you look at this chart right here and you look at this series of higher lows over the last few months, and we've had a series of lower highs, you see that tension building. I see a rising 100-day moving average here. This thing looks like it's poised to win Christmas here, not because of a 5J upgrade super cycle thing me jiggy because of the discretionary aspect that's the staple aspect that's not a great gift to give but what is a great gift to give is maybe those airpods or those hundred dollar i uh you know the the new speaker the mini whatever the heck they're calling it. i already bought a few of them so to me i think <laughs> apple sets up really nicely technically here and i like the underperformance and if the market is going to make a new high which i'm not so certain it will but i'd rather play it through apple and make a run for that prior high near 138 it's down about 13 percent from those all-time highs. Guy, what do you think of Dan's uh, analysis here of Apple? Think, of, think about, for Dan, Nathan, I mean, I think it's spot on, and I think we've been pretty consistent. I actually thought the stock was going to maybe take a look at that $98 level. Never did. I guess the sort of the 105 level is where it held, but, you know, we said after earnings, you're going to get a shot, and here it was, and, you know, I think the entry point is fine. I think Dan's spot on. I think Katie Huberty at Morgan Stanley made some bullish comments. I think Luke Loop Capital put a $131 price target, which probably gave the stock some support today. So good for Dan. And for those that say he's dogmatic and always negative, there, right in, in the face, as Eddie Murphy said in Coming to America. Well, you know, I really wish that we could have gotten a, a professional technical analyst's opinion, maybe the number two analyst on Wall Street um, <laughs> for Dan's chart. You know, Chris, Chris, nice. you're back. Chris Verone is back with us. The Christmas miracle, everybody. The guest is back. So what do you make of uh, Dan's chart? Well, I think Dan knows his charts, and this is a stock that we think goes higher. I mean, it consolidated for three months here. It was massively overbought in August and September. It's worked that off through time. No damage was done. Volume was really light. We think this resumes higher and gives a run back at those old highs near 138, 140 into year end. Chris, thank you again. Chris Verone of Strategus. What, would, what did the late, great Regis Philbin used to say about you, Dan? Dan knows a lot. I think Dan yeah. knows a lot. Dan knows go. a lot. Dan knows, knows a lot. Coming up, General Motors bangs away. The big news that got Nikola investors slamming the brakes today. And later, a blockbuster deal brewing in the software space. What we can expect Salesforce to say when reports earnings tomorrow night. Stay tuned. You're watching Fast.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Nikola hitting a major speed bump today. The stock dropping more than 26% after General Motors pulled the plug on its deal to take an equity stake in the EV maker. Under the terms of a new deal announced today, GM will supply Nikola with hydrogen fuel cell technology, and Nikola will scrap plans to build the Badger electric pickup. Nikola handing in its worst day since its SPAC deal was completed back in June. We should note that November 30th today is also lockup expiration day. J.P. Morgan estimating that as many as 161 million shares could be eligible for uh, to be unlocked. So, Tim, is this a surprise from the GM standpoint? It, you know, it shows a little rationality. It, it uh, It's definitely a case where, you know, I, I've always viewed this as who needs who? Nikola really needs GM and access to some of their technology and some of their uh, OEM manufacturing capabilities in their distribution. So um, look, GM's had the, the interesting thing about the GM stock is at one point it found itself below uh, where that announcement was, despite, you know, it was almost as if Nikola was the one that was really adding the value here. And I think it's it's the opposite. I think the, the point on the Nikola shares is very, very important here. A lot of those are founder shares and there's an expectation that Tomorrow's a very, very big day. Obviously, the stock was seeing some of that in advance today and on this news. So um, make no mistake, this whole moment in time has illuminated just what GM's plan is for their EV technology and where they are involved in hydrogen fuel cells and and where this company has invested a lot of time and money in the space. So uh, this is a stock that's run very, very fast. I've made it very clear I'm long the stock. Um, I'm not surprised to see a little breath taken today, but I don't think this is a bad day for GM. I think this is a day for showing some rationality. From the Nikola standpoint, you could argue that Nikola is going back to its roots. It started as a commercial truck, a hydrogen commercial truck uh, company, not not in the consumer space at all. And, and to think about the, the ramp, the investment it would take to get into the consumer space, even beyond the manufacturing, but also in terms of distribution, that was a very steep ramp. So from a Nikola turnaround story perspective, Karen, do you think it's any more attractive? No, I, 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 <laughs> I thought it hung in there pretty well, considering all of the negative things today. I mean, I don't know what that negotiation between GM and Nikola was. I, GM had every single card and they still couldn't come to a deal. I, I, I'm surprised the stock's not lower. I agree with Tim and I am long GM as well. I think, uh, okay, hopefully they sell them a lot of batteries, but... Um, this will just be a blip for GM. All right, coming up, we're headed to the cloud. We've got new reporting on Salesforce's plan to buy Slack. The details, we come right back. Welcome back. Here's a check on our Kramer cam. There's Jim talking exclusively with Michael Dell. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. But first, we're headed to the clouds. Options traders are making big bets on Salesforce into earnings. We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Slack. Bucking today's broader market sell-off. CNBC's David Faber reporting that Salesforce's deal to buy the company could be announced as early as tomorrow. Salesforce reports tomorrow after the bell, and traders in the options market are betting on some good news when the numbers cross. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yes, out of both of those companies. So in Salesforce's case, we did see about two times the average daily options volume, and right now the options market is implying the stock will move just under 8% by the end of the week. That's in line with the 7.7% that the stock has typically averaged over the last eight reported quarters. The most active options were the weekly 250 calls. Over 4,000 of those were trading. And buyers of those are obviously betting the move could be to the upside. Slack, 
Slack also saw significant volume as people are expecting that news to come out this week. All right. Thank you, Mike. Mike Coe for that. Uh, Dan, what do you make of the deal? I love it. I mean, I actually think that Salesforce had to pounce on this. I think there were probably a lot of other competitors kind of circling the wagons on this asset. And, you know, Salesforce, I think it seems like a great marriage with Stuart Butterfield. So to me, uh, you know, I'm all in. This is one I've uh, appreciated over this last year. Although it has not been an easy ride like Zoom, I think it makes a lot of strategic sense for Salesforce. And I think it's going to be a good partnership going forward. Guy, you're waving. Yes, because wasn't it Dan Ness's twice for me tonight? Uh... Guy froze. Guy froze. Technical Whoa. difficulties with Guy. Wow. Or maybe I hit a button. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> um, Tim, what do, you, what do you make of this deal? <laughs> I think it's been described as win-win. That's certainly echoing what Dan said. This is a case, and we have seen what Salesforce has been able to do with, with Mule when they push it out through their ecosystem and, and actually put the scale around this business. Um, you know, nothing comes cheap in this world. Um, although, think of the move in Salesforce stock. Uh, on some level, this is, you know, more of a rounding error when you consider just the, the stratospheric move there. So uh, using that currency makes a ton of sense to me. All right. For more options action, by the way, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trade. Yeah, just reiterating the Apple. You got the consumer staple and you got the discretionary and you have a great technical setup above 120 breakout. I like it back towards the highs. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, first kudos to Dan for Slack. That was, I think, a power pitch. So nice job there. My final trade today is Info, which is IHS Market. We saw the big S&P Global deal today. Who knows? Maybe there's someone else out there. Trade for just for a couple days. Tim Seymour. Now, did you survive this crazy weather today in the Northeast? I mean, you get blown around. It was just, <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised we're, we weren't blown off the set. But uh, if you look at the Chinese mega cap names, they're kind of getting blown off the set uh, over there on regulatory concerns. I think Tencent is one of the most interesting, uh, both tech incubators, gaming stocks, social media stocks in the world. And this is weakness I'd actually be buying, uh, despite the fact that you never want to challenge Big Brother in China. But I think these are interesting stocks. Guy, we unfroze you. What's your final trade? Oh. Yes, I, I appreciate you unfreezing me. McKesson, MCK, medical. That's going to win in this whole COVID race. MCK. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.